I want to start with a, with a story. So we, we had some renovations done a few years ago uh, to, our, to our house. And the foundations were being cast. And just before the, the actual cement was getting cast, you know you have to put rebar in. The building inspector luckily came and he inspected it. And he said, whoa, there's a problem here. This rebar is too thin. In this place, there's not enough rebar. The positioning is wrong. Fix it now, or you're going to have huge problems later. So we did that, and we cast the, cast the foundations, and it's a pretty strong house today. But if he didn't come in and go, oh, there's a mistake here in how you are building, later we would have had a lot of trouble even maybe injury or death or something bad. And we see that in the Word as well. Jesus gives us a blueprint of what His church should look like. And He tells us, be careful how you build. And Paul, Apostle Paul, as a master builder, he writes in his letters about how we should build. So I want to talk tonight, I want to talk about that. How should we build this thing? this body of Jesus, because it's, it's really important. That's what, that's what he died for. That's what he got tortured for, willingly coming to die. We'll talk more about that later. But if you had to buy a house that you have to live in, will you ask, hey, I wonder how this was built? I hope you do. I hope you do. Hey, are these foundations solid? Are the walls strong? Is the rebar enough? So if you join this, this congregation, this church, Josh Jen, are you asking the same things? I wonder how this church is built. I wonder if it's strong enough. I wonder if the foundations are good. You should be asking those questions. You can see that there are lots of kinds of churches almost as many as you get lots of kinds of cars these days. You know, if you want to buy a car, you're going to go, okay, these are all nice cars, but what suits me? You know, I need space, I need more safety, I need speed, I need 4x4, I need diff lock, I don't know what else. But you need lots of stuff. And you pick one that suits you, if you can afford it. Or even, you even pick one that you can afford, you know. The church is not, as all, not at all like that. It's not different strokes for different folks. It's not according to our culture. It's not according to what's cool, what's acceptable. We don't fit God into our lives. We fit into Him. That is the fundamental, foundational mindset that we need to get. We fit into Him, whether it's comfortable or not. We have to fit into Him. We don't have a choice. That's the only way the real church works. It's not an add-on. Jesus knows how the church should be, what it should look like. So let's see what, what he says about that. And I, I'm going to refer to quite a few bits of Scripture. So if you're keeping notes, get those pens hot and ready. Um, but uh, I'll try not to take too, not too much time on that. But I want to back up what I say, and that's why I want to use all these scriptures. Otherwise, you're thinking, if you're a visitor here or a relatively new adherent, you might be thinking, 
where does this guy get this stuff? You know, this cannot be, but it might be surprising. So, the church is God's vehicle through which he brings the kingdom to earth, right? Does that make sense? That is the way, that is God's design, it's his mechanism by which he brings his kingdom. We pray, Lord, let your kingdom come, right? Who's all prayed that? Surprisingly few of you. Really? Or you just, don't, you just have heavy arms? Okay, we'll fix that. We're going to ask you lots of questions tonight. Okay, we pray. Let your kingdom come, let your will be done. This is how his kingdom comes. Through the church, through one person getting saved at a time, getting discipled and slotted into church family. That is how the kingdom comes. There's no other way. That's how the kingdom comes. We see that in the Bible. The Bible is our manual for, how, for what church should look like. There's no other, other structure, blueprint manual that we can refer to. That's it. That's the one. And we see it in Acts 2, verse 42 to 47. And most of you probably know that off by heart. If you've been here for any amount of time, you should know it. Wow, Amado, you're doing well. Well done, bro. Okay, I want to actually, I want to read that again. So this is the early church. It's in the first century. Jesus has left the building. He went up. He went to heaven. And then the, the disciples and the apostles, they were, okay, so how do we do church now? And the Holy Spirit came. And this is what it was like. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe. And many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet. They broke bread in their homes, ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God, enjoying the favor of all the people, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Now that's a mouthful. I mean, it reads quickly. It reads in like 30 seconds. But if we can get that right, then his kingdom has come. That's our measuring stick. That's not a recipe. You can't go, okay, we're going to meet daily. We're going to break bread. We're going to worship. It's not a recipe, guys. You cannot make that happen. That's an overflow. That's a result. That is, that's the model that we're trying to achieve. But you cannot achieve it by trying to do those things. You can only do, achieve that by actually getting the gospel and walking by the Spirit, then that happens. Surprisingly, I'm not going to be talking about that, but that's God's measure for us. So that's a good measure. If you want to see how you're doing, if you want to see how any church congregation is doing, is this happening, and to what extent? And if you have to look at us as a congregation, as a family, I'll have to go, yes, it is happening, which is very encouraging. That's at least my own perspective. I believe it can happen more. I believe that, and I believe that's always the case. But uh, and there are some things we're good at and some things we're not so strong at. It's always good to read that through again. But that's about the church. Can you see that there's almost nothing about personal improvement in there? Can you ever see that? If you go to a Christian bookstore today, and I'm not knocking Christian bookstores. They are becoming fewer because of online stuff. But how many books are there on improving you? Okay? The next best you. How to improve, how to, how to, how to. Compared to how many books there are on how to improve the church. 
How many books are there about that? About how to, how to have a more holy church, the kind of church that Jesus wants. I believe there are some, but look at the ratio if you, if you go and look. It's more about us than about him, which is sad. It gives us an indication that the world, or even the Christian community, we are missing our focus. We're thinking it's for us. It's for our own improvement. The church is not, to, not for us. Essentially, we get fixed as, and we get improved as we are in church, but we're not yet to be fixed, actually. It's a spin-off. It's God's grace that He moves us from one degree of glory to the next. We shouldn't be here for us. We should be here for Him. Think about that for a, for a second. Because we all think, okay, we're going to come to church and we're going to be more holy. We're going to be better. Yes. That's not our main function. We come to church to be part of His bride and represent Him and reflect Him so the world can see what He's like. That's what it's about. It's not about us. 1 Corinthians 4, verse 17. This is Paul writing, telling the Corinthians about Timothy. He's saying, for this reason, I'm sending you Timothy, my son whom I love. It's not really his son, guys. It's, but he was his son, a spiritual son, who is faithful in the Lord. He will remind you of my way of life in Christ Jesus, which, agree, which agrees with what I teach. Where? Everywhere in the church. Say everywhere. Everywhere. So would that be applicable here? Are we part of everywhere? Yes, we're part of everywhere. So this stuff is applicable to us as well. The Acts Church, the Acts church was a healthy one. I mean, that's where church started. It was the original one. So much so that today there's about 2 billion people calling themselves Christians, which is pretty good, I would, I would say. So I want to look at healthy churches tonight, and I want to look at sick churches and we can measure ourselves against that. Okay. You guys, are, is it okay so far? Okay, cool. Lacquer. Okay, 1 Thessalonians 1, verse 2 to 10. Let's, le let's read some scripture. We did that, a lot of that last week. Remember, we didn't have an actual preach. We just read some scripture. We took a risk doing that, but I felt it brought something, another angle of, of what God wanted to do. It's always good to read scripture. The word says, all scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching. So let's do that. 1 Thessalonians 1, verse 2 to 10. So this is a look at a healthy example of a church. We always thank God for all of you, mentioning you in your prayers. We continually remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that He has chosen you because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but with power, with the Holy Spirit, and with deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord. How's that? To become imitators of Him. In spite of severe suffering, you welcomed the message with a joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so, you became a model church to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. So, that is a model church. If you want to see what we should be looking like, that's what we should be looking like. Of course, with Acts 2 in it, but that is a, he's commending them, saying, Thessalonica, well done. 
And you can see why, in spite of severe suffering, that's how they are. So that's a, that's a good church. He, he commends them for all those things. And we can ask ourselves, are we, are we doing that? How much of that are we doing that? I'm not even sure if we have severe suffering at the moment. It might be God's grace. It might be the opposite of God's grace. So it's difficult to measure us like that. But at the same time, that's a good, good way to look at it. So there are actually some churches that, are, that were getting this right. It's not an impossible thing. With God, it's not impossible. Without Him, it's impossible. Okay, I want to move to sick churches. And this is the thing. The worst part of this is they thought they were healthy. Satan is the great deceiver. Somebody asked me, it was Grant. Where's Grant? I, I saw, hey, there you are. Cool, right? He asked me, and we had a home group meeting, and he asked me, what's your greatest fear? And I said, my greatest fear is deception. Satan is the great deceiver, and he knows how to deceive us, guys. You must be careful. He is very sly. He's the great deceiver, and my biggest fear is that I may get, or we may get deceived, thinking we're doing what is right, but doing wrong. He can do that to us unless we follow, unless we follow, follow the Spirit. So they thought they were healthy. It's kind of like a strong, fit bodybuilder, you know, and he looks fit and healthy, completely the opposite of me. He looks fit and healthy, but he has a heart problem. And he's training on the treadmill and, like, pushing his heart rate into, I don't know, into the red, drops dead from a heart attack or a stroke. That happens all the time. As a joke, we were, some of the guys this morning were testing our, we're testing our blood pressures as a joke. You know when you get older, the game you play is you test your blood pressure. It's so funny. Yeah, Nikki's laughing. Yeah, some of the guys were surprisingly good. But the point is, you don't know until you test it. And in the same way, we need to, we need to test how we're doing. On the outside, it can look fine. But on the inside, you could be this close to death. And these churches looked fine on the outside, but on the inside they were very close to death. 1 Corinthians 5 verse 2, Amado, you don't have to put it up. But they were proud of bad things they were doing. There was sexual immorality, and they were celebrating their freedom in it. They were proud of it. They think it was pleasing to the Lord. 1 Corinthians eleven seventeen, Amado, you've got that one, I think. Yes. Paul says, in the following directives, I have no praise for you. For your meetings do more harm than good. You, I'm sure you've read that before, okay, most of you. But think about it for a while. God is telling them, listen, actually, you shouldn't meet. You shouldn't meet because when you meet, it's worse. You know, how does that line up with a scripture of do not forsake the gathering of the saints? You know, no, we must not forsake the gathering of the saints. No, God's saying don't meet rather because you get worse. You're celebrating your sin. You know, you, you are tolerant of sin, you think you're getting away with it, and you keep coming back to church pretending that everything is fine, and God's saying, I'm not happy with it. I always think, sorry, I digress a little bit, but maybe it's worth it. I always think, wouldn't it be easier if God, like, shows us when we do something wrong, like, immediately, you know? Like, say I'm leading you wrong, like, in this moment, like, you could just show me, now you're wrong. Or in, when, uh, when we're leading worship, oh, you went wrong. Or The problem is, if, if we are to get punished as soon as we do stuff wrong, we'd all be dead. 
I mean, it, we, there will be nobody alive on earth. We'll be like, oh, first sin, boom, dead. You know, that's, it's impossible. So God in His grace, He's patient with us. He's not tolerant of us. He's not tolerant of our sin. You know, He's a patient God. One of His attributes, He's patient. He's not tolerant, guys. Just because you've been getting away with something doesn't mean it's okay. Okay? He's not tolerant of it. He's as intolerant of it as He's always been. When, when uh, Ananias and Sapphira dropped dead in church, that happened. They dropped dead in church. That, there he was intolerant of sin. He's still as intolerant of sin. He's just got grace for us. Okay. So he's telling them your meetings do more harm than good. He's telling that to a church. And he says that's damaging people. That's damaging his kingdom. 2 Timothy 3 verse 1 to 5. Look at this. This is Paul writing. There will be terrible times in the last days. And I don't know about you, but I think we kind of in those days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, Conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Having a form of godliness, looking holy, but denying its power. And then he cautions Timothy and he says, have nothing to do with him. Guess who he was talking about? People in the church. We normally read that and go, yeah, the world is so bad. Look at that. Eh? Just like Jesus said, in the last days, they'll be lovers of money, lovers of themselves. <laughs> That's the world. God says, you're never going to escape the world until you come to me. That's in the church. He's, he wrote that about the church, inside the church, with good teaching, first century. Okay? Some of those people would have met some of the real apostles before they died. You know? Some of those people might even have heard sec like, sec like second phase about Jesus or even seen some things. Like first century church, and that's what they like. A form of godliness. And if that could happen 2,000 years ago, with 2,000 years of Satan being the great deceiver, is it possible that we could be missing some parts? Sorry, this is a little bit, I'm not, it's not so, I'm not trying to make it heavy. It's just, this is what Paul is saying, this is what, what's going to be like. It doesn't refer to the world, guys. 2 Corinthians 2 verse 4, Paul, same Paul, and he expresses how burdened he is for his church. Do you have that one? Look at this. Paul, I wrote to you, for I wrote you to the Corinthians, it's to the church in Corinth, out of great distress and anguish of heart and with many tears, not to grieve you, but to let you know the depth of my love for you. How do you look like when you... What do you look like when you have great distress, anguish of heart, and many tears? It's not like, oh, I'm worried. It's not like that. Great distress, many tears. It's like a parent talking about his child. When you as a parent, and lots of us are parents, how many are your parents? How many have, are you, lots of people are parents here. 
Think about your children. When will you have great distress for them? When will you have anguish for them? That is what Paul feels like for his church here. That's the word. In 1 Corinthians 11 verse 29, it says, because you are missing it, some people are even dying in your congregation, in your meeting, because of this, because you are not representing me well. That's God's judgment coming out. In Luke 18 verse 8, Jesus asks this question, will I find faith when I return? And we can say, yes, if you declare Jesus, you believe. But he didn't, he didn't ask, will I find faithfulness? Because faithfulness is easier. It's dogged. It, you just keep on keeping on. You are faithful like a steam engine going on and on and on. You don't have to be faithful to do that. You can go through the motions. And sometimes we can be trapped in that. No, he, he asked, can I, will, I ask, will I have faith? Will I see faith? People actually living in faith, following the Spirit, living in faith. Lord, what do you want us to do? Yes, we will stand on this thing. That kind of faith. Will he find that? Okay, I'll go on. A little bit more about sick churches. Okay, then, then we're going to try and recover. Okay, in Revelations, last book of the Bible, John hears directly from Jesus about seven churches. And for most of those churches... He has bad news. He says, uh, you do this wrong or you do this wrong. In Revelations 2 verse 5, he says, consider how far you've fallen. Is it there? Remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent and, I do, the thing, and do the things you did at first. And here's a condition. Here's a warning. Look at that. This is Jesus warning the church. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. In other words, I will remove, I will wipe your church away. Why would Jesus wipe a part of his bride away? It's like if you have a, you know, if you had frostbite in your foot or your thumb and it gets gangrenous, what do you have to do to that limb? To survive, you have to cut it off. You know? He will cut you off. Revelation 2.16. don't know what... Uh, yeah, here we go. Repent, therefore. Turn around. Change your ways. Otherwise, I will soon come to you and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. So this is Jesus fighting against his own bride. Okay? It's, I mean, think about that. We're all like, come, Lord Jesus, come. And he comes and he smacks us. One person you don't want to upset is Jesus. Almighty, all-powerful creator and you're like, okay, come, Lord. And then he comes and he wipes you out. Because he says, I will come to you. I will come to you. You're like, yes, Lord, you're coming to me. And then I'll fight against you. That's the fear of the Lord, guys. Let's get the fear of the Lord for this stuff. Do you think Jesus can shut down a church? Or we would shut down a church? Yes. Good answer. Yes. If you don't, if you think, no, he's gentle, Jesus, meek and mild, you're not seeing the Jesus that we see in the Bible here. He is gentle Jesus, and he is meek. But most of that was until he got crucified. Now he's all-powerful, and he's sitting in the, in, the, in the right hand of God. 
He's in charge, guys. And he doesn't take nonsense. He's given us everything we need to live right. Everything we need to have a church like we spoke about at first. Revelation 3.16. This is interesting. I think you've, you've read this before as well. So, because you're lukewarm, if you want to know what lukewarm is, just go give that man a hug. <laughs> Neither hot or cold. It's like Goldilocks. Not too hot, not too cold. Okay, I digress badly. Okay. Okay, sorry. Okay. So, because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. Okay. And that's an interesting statement, okay, because normally lukewarm is not so bad. It was written to Laodicea. That's the church it was written to. And Laodicea at the time was one of the wealthiest cities. It was definitely the wealthiest of the seven churches that the letters were written to or the messages were written to. And they had a library there. They, had lots, they were really wealthy. They were even making like an eye ointment at that time. They were quite advanced. But that city always had a problem with water. So what they did is there was a hot spring not too far away, and they channeled the hot spring water to the city. But by the time it reached Laodicea, it wasn't hot anymore. It was lukewarm. And it's interesting that the angel uses this wording because if you know something about something being lukewarm, that's where bacteria can grow. Too hot, bacteria can't grow. That's why hot springs are so healthy for you. They, the water's clean, bacteria can't live there. Too cold, it's like putting stuff in the fridge. It takes a long time for bacteria to grow because the conditions are not good. But lukewarm is just right. It's just right for bacteria to go, for things to go rotten. And that's why they had lots of water problems. And the water quickly went dirty in Laodicea. They always had a water problem. So it's in that context that the angel speaks into and says, you are lukewarm. And they knew, okay, we are stinky, rotten, making sick. That's what that's about. And he says, because of that, what do you do with something if you know it's rotten? You spit it out. And in that context, that's why he speaks about this. How's that? Huh? He said, you, I will spit you out. So they understood that very well. So Jesus already paid for us. He bought us, guys. He did the work. So we have to accept that sacrifice. It's our choice to. And then do church the way he wants it. Because it's, it's his. He, he paid for it. Matthew ten thirty nine says, if we try and save our lives, we will lose it. But if we lose our lives for his sake, we will find it. Just keep that in your mind. This church is not a life improvement adaptation. It's not the next thing after yoga and the thing before cold water immersion and intermittent fasting and the next thing, you know? It's not like another add-on to improve our lives. So how do we do this? Because you can see there's actually some pretty eternal consequences to, to missing this. The only way and the simplest, simple way is 
Fit your life into Jesus. Do not fit him onto yours. And you will know when that is. It will be when you're looking at joining this church and you're thinking, hmm, I want to join, but I don't know if my kids will be happy here. You're putting your kids above Jesus as an example. I'm not accusing anybody of that. I'm just, I'm just saying the way we're thinking about it. I want to join, but it's 10 minutes more driving than that other church around the corner, so that's more convenient. I want to join, but the time is not perfect for my lifestyle. Lots of these things. It's not about what suits us, guys. It's not, we're not yet to have our needs net met. We're actually here to sacrifice. In the beginning, when we, when we built this building, 20, 21 years ago, I think we built this building, in 2002, around there, we were here, there was no carpet, we used to have work parties. When you worship, this dust cloud, and it wasn't a glory cloud, it was a concrete dust cloud, you couldn't breathe when you were jumping in worship. You guys remember? Yo, guys, we, every tree out there, we planted in a work party. All those big trees, they were tiny trees, you know? You guys remember that? We sacrificed. People sold cars, sold property, sowed into this thing big time. I think the congregation was less than 100 people when this building was built. And most of it they built twice because the cement was wrong the first time. Another picture of how after building right. We don't, right now you come in here, everything is slick, I hope. Everything is ready, nice carpet, there's coffee and... Listen, that's great. Well done to all the teams, all the guys on duty. There's always people ready. Right now, there's gifts operating. It's beautiful. That's how the church should work, every part playing its role. But it took work to get here. When you come in here as a visitor now, like, oh, this is lacquer. Yeah. yeah. But, hmm? lacquer. But now there's other things that challenges us. So we don't have to build this building anymore, but there are other uncomfortabilities. Maybe we are self-conscious. I don't want to worship jumping up and down because it's, I don't want to. I'm just introverted, okay? Guys, I'm introverted. I avoided oral at school. Like, I'd rather, you can fail me. I'm not standing up. I'm not speaking. I just, thank you. I'm actually very introverted. And if you are also introverted, I feel your pain. I really do. It doesn't mean that you have to act introverted. You can, I'm not saying fake it. I'm just saying step out. You're not going to die. They say more people are afraid of, like one of the biggest phobias is speaking in front of people, right? I can relate. I can absolutely get it. But you cannot say, well, I'm not like that. That's not me. Good for you to each his own. Nonsense. Nonsense. Get uncomfortable. If you're thinking about this church camp and you're going, ah, oh, that's not for me. I'm not a camper. Okay, firstly, that... Firstly... Firstly... Firstly, it's not a camp. We have chalets. So we call it, we're calling it the camp. Yeah, so they are the chalets. Actually, dorms, eh? They're dorms. But, so it's not the great, best example. I'm just talking about... It's not about what suits us, guys. One Timothy three verse fifteen to seventeen. I'm okay. Fifteen to seventeen. Sorry, sorry, Amado. I think I gave you the wrong one, but this is definitely written somewhere. 
I'm writing you these instructions so that, a few things, and then you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God. Is that there somewhere? I'm sorry that it's not. Yes, there. Okay. You will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household. What's God's household? Which is the church of the living God, the living God, not 2,000 years ago God, the pillar and foundation of the truth. So the stuff I'm talking about, the stuff that the Lord is showing and the stuff that is in Scripture is how we ought to conduct ourselves in this church. So there's a, there's a standard, there's a, a ought to. In closing, myself and the elders and the deacons, we don't lead this church. Andrew doesn't lead this church. Jesus leads this church. He should anyway, if we let him. And we need to be connected to him to represent him well. We cannot do what we want to. That's why you see the, the elders caucusing and talking. We're not sharing jokes most of the time. We, we, we're asking, what do you think the Lord is doing? And there's a reverence to that. Because if we, if we do it wrong, we're misleading you. Which, I mean, I'm not expecting a lightning bolt immediately. But it's not good to make anybody stumble or waste your time. You're here, you're giving me your Sunday afternoon, your Sunday evening. Which is precious. We're not taking that for granted. So thank you for that. But we, don't want, we want to make it, make it count. Not just worth your while, but count for the kingdom. Because that's who I am. You're not here for me or the leaders. You're here for the kingdom, for Jesus. If Jesus wasn't here, I hope that you wouldn't come. My hope would be that you go to wherever he is. But we aim to get Je have Jesus here. That's our first priority here. Jesus is our head. We have to follow him. And our wish and our heart is that we may be able to one day represent this part of the bride as beautiful and spotless. But that requires each of us to, to be part of that, to be equipped and to play their role, play their part. So who here would like a health, to have a healthy physical body? If there's anybody that's not lifting your hand, maybe we need to pray for you. Okay. Okay. Good. Good answer. Who would like a healthy church? Okay, this is getting better. Jesus died for this. And he actually died for each of us to be part of it. That's his plan, guys. So if you are here and you are considering whether this should be your home, your church home, ask the Lord, Lord, what do you want me to do and where do you want me to, to be? If it's not here, please don't be here. But if it is here, be all in. Be here 100%. Don't just be lukewarm. Be all in. Whether it's comfortable or not, whether it's convenient or not, easy or not. The main purpose is what God wants, not what people want. I saw Andrew post this on Facebook this morning. He's on an outreach in um, California for a partnering church that we have there. And he wrote, he wrote this. He says, if we see how holy God is, and how worthy God is of our whole hearts.
then all of us will be sold out for him. He wants each of us to behold him, to look upon him, to behold him, to carry his heart, to love what he loves, to love the things God loves. What does he love? He loves his bride, guys. To hate what he hates. Ever thought of that? God can hate. Another preach. When God has the heart of every individual person, then the church will reflect him properly. And it's interesting how we operate corporately, how church is a family and there's a corporate dynamic. Even when we worship and the word says the one, you know, waters, the one plants to make the seed grow and we all play our part. But then it says each one will be rewarded and judged individually. So there's a responsibility on the individual. And then the church will reflect improperly. We must all fit into Jesus, not fit him into us. And the question is whether that's true in our lives. And you'll be able to see.